Hello there, welcome along to Sport and Life podcast. It is Friday the 10th of September 2020. Uh, just working out uh, the new guidance and the impact on sport today. Uh, pleased to say we're going to have John Palmer, local distinguished uh, journalist for many years covering Cheltenham Town as a Cheltenham Town fan, but also other sports and clubs in the area. Got an insight to in Gloucestershire in the west of England. Just gives perhaps a picture, if you're not in this part of the world as well, to uh, the challenges facing lower league clubs in particular, no Premier League big boys around here or anything like that. There is a Gloucester uh, rugby club, of course, playing the, in the Premiership in, in Rugby Union. And uh, talk a little bit about that. Martin St. Quinton sent me an email recently, the chairman of the club, just to, to say how things are going. And it's, it's a challenging picture. Uh, but welcome to the podcast. Big thank you to, uh, talking of local companies, local outfits, the sponsors of the podcast, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. And thank you also to Cytoplan. As the coughs and the cold settle in and uh, in the playground, my daughter's school first week anyway, it's um, already coughs and sniffles and kids not allowed to go to school because of it. And the usual seasonal stuff, notwithstanding that kind of spectre of COVID-19 in the background, but the complexity, I think, as it unravels of, of how we determine who hasn't and who has got corona particularly for young people who may not have severe symptoms uh, that may mirror sort of the usual regular stuff in terms of coughs and colds very difficult uh, but in terms of optimizing our immunity i do think maybe and we've talked about this with john uh, perhaps sort of testing if it if it develops will be the the only solution uh, potentially something kind of on the on the day in the minute for getting fans back into grounds for, for keeping kids at school keeping university students at school because uh, at, at college sorry because john is a, a university lecturer as well in sports journalism so We'll touch on that. Um, but in terms of boosting our immunity, optimizing our immunity, correct terminology, I'm told by doctors, um, check out cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, local supplement company to me uh, in a place called Hanley Swan outside of Malvern. My father has worked with them, believed in them for a couple of decades. We've taken supplements for a couple of decades. They're food-based, digested like food. We take one particularly called Immunovite, I-M-M-U-N-O-V-Y-T-E, uh, contains vitamin C, zinc, uh, uh, other vital uh, aspects of, of guarding our immune systems. And um, on that note, make sure you take a supplement with vitamin D, according to a lot of articles and research coming out. Now, that could well be important in terms of specifically preventing us uh, from contracting coronavirus badly. And also, I think it is an indicator that perhaps it's just great for our immune system, generally vitamin D, and we get it from the sunshine. A lot of us at the moment are locked in on Teams calls and Zoom calls, aren't we? So, um, on that note, there's cytoplan.co.uk. If you go there, you can get a 10% discount with my code DRAPER10, D-R-A-P-E-R-10, all capital letters DRAPER, then the numbers one zero. Okay, so here we go with John Palmer, a journalist for Gloucestershire Live and also a university lecturer at the University of Gloucestershire teaching sports journalism. Hope you enjoy this one, guys. Morning, Ed. Hello, John. How are you? I'm very well, thanks yourself. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Whereabouts are you? Are you, are you still home officing or are you Yeah, I'm um I'm at home and about to go down to the Cheltenham training ground for the first time since March. Wow. Um, well, good time then. Like... Opportune moment to catch you. <laughs> yeah, twelve thirty press conference. So we're looking forward to that. Fantastic. What's the protocol there? How how what do you have to do and compared to last time? Because it used to be in quite a sort of not not a small room, but it was uh, quite internal, wasn't it? It's been done via Zoom since then. Um mm. Even even at Newport on Tuesday, all the post match interviews were carried out via Zoom. Even though Michael was just uh, 
a stone's throw away. It was all very <laughs> separated. Um, he was having a bit of a joke about it, shouting out up to us so we could hear him, but actually doing the interview via Zoom, but understandable. <laughs> but um, it's quite positive today that we, we, uh, we have been invited down, and I think it will take place in the car park because the actual training complex is still what I would call red zone. So mm. I think you need to be tested, tested in part of the pod to be able to go in and, and go around the training ground. So I think they're being ultra careful, which is completely understandable. Good. So we'll be probably t- talking to Michael and the player outside in the car park. So hopefully the, the weather stays as it is at the moment, which isn't too bad. Yeah, obviously we're doing this remotely and I'm sure we could probably meet up outside and, and record something soon as well. But how, how, is, how do you feel about that? Are you excited just to get that, that face-to-face contact and maybe elicit just a slightly better connection and quality of interview? Yeah, I actually quite enjoyed the process of doing the, the build-ups, the playoffs on Zoom. It was a bit different. It was, you know, it was, there was a novelty value. But the, the main thing really for me is just getting fans back in. I think mm. any, anything seems, it just seems a little bit pointless at the moment. Mm. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've been lucky to, to be able to go to some of the games. and But Peterborough away, Newport away, Cheltenham won them both 1-0. Yeah. It, you know, really good start to the season. But I'm just sat there thinking... It just still feels like a sort of glorified friendly at the moment. Um, I just think that. Sorry, sorry. No, I was going to say is that is that more um, that that feeling more poignant because it's the lower leagues you feel because obviously the Premier League returns this weekend and I think people are very eager to get into the grounds there as well. But there's a sense that that you're very much bombarded with the Premier League and you can't really miss it. Whereas I suppose lower leagues, without being physically there, it's it's just a little bit harder to keep to feel part of it, isn't it? Yeah, I think we've discussed this before, and I think Cheltenham are one of the many clubs that, without gate receipts coming in, they are going to be, you know, really struggling. But Premier League clubs, obviously, they've got just as passionate and loyal fans, but they've also got a massive um, army of sort of armchair fans that are quite happy to follow the club from a distance, watch it on telly, mm. pay their Sky subscription for brilliant coverage on TV. But <laughs> most Cheltenham fans want to be there. You know, they want to be there watching the game. They don't, yeah. they don't want to sit at home, listen to it on the radio, or. Certainly not home games. I know. I know not everyone can make it around the country to away games, but the home games, there's a real loyal hardcore of two and a half to three thousand fans that will all be desperate to get back in there as soon as safe to do so. Yeah. Yes. Definitely so. But it's interesting, isn't it? Do you feel that it's it's easier for the Premier League fans as well just to stay sort of feeling emotionally connected to their clubs because there's so much coverage because they can see so many televised games. It's a bit different, I suppose, in League Two that. I know there's wonderful servants like yourself who will, who will provide great content, keeping on top of the team, but it just feels a little bit more distant, doesn't it, if you can't be there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's Quest highlights are back on, which is good. And But even the Premier League games, well, I, I mean, I, I don't support a specific Premier League club, but I keep an eye on it and I enjoy watching it when I, you know, every now and then. But during the, the end of last season, watching some of the games, mm. televised games that weren't watched by a crowd, it did, again, that just felt a little bit, half done you know I just I know they they had to do it they got the season done they did the best they could Liverpool mm. deserved the title everything's been rounded off but it, it really has driven home to me how important having fans inside the ground is I mean it, I know that's pretty obvious anyway but I just I cannot sort of emphasise how different it is being sat there mm. no matter what the game is um, and how well Cheltenham are playing it just doesn't feel the same at the final whistle you know people they just trudge off we won yeah. the game but it, it just doesn't Peterborough um, was sort of mounting a little bit of pressure in the second half last Saturday. Mm. And there was no roar from the crowd. You know, that probably worked to Cheltenham's advantage on that day because yeah. the referee wasn't, you know, the referee didn't have anyone screaming at him every decision apart from maybe a couple on the touchline. But it, it does make a huge difference there to playing home and away as well. You can't get the crowd going. You, you can't get that sort of roar behind you. And I think that makes a big difference as well. It just felt a little bit, it just felt a little bit like 
part of me was thinking, why why didn't they just wait a little bit longer? But then I understand the financial implications of just getting mm. getting the league going, and it's a really difficult one. And we we chatted sort of fairly early on in lockdown, and there's no there was no perfect solution in this ridiculous situation that we find ourselves in. So yeah. I'm not saying it's uh, easily solved, but it just feels half pointless to me at the moment that the season actually started in, in the lower leagues. Yeah, I think the problem is just the uncertainty, isn't it? Because we don't know when when this virus will subside or, or when people will feel happy with it having subsided to a, to a level where we can we can mingle freely. Yeah. Um, I, was, I went to a couple of non-league uh, friendlies, which was just really nice to turn up and actually see a handful of fans being able to come in. And, you know, everyone was observing the, the guidelines, staying apart, washing their hands, uh, mm. We've had our temperature checked on the way into all the Cheltenham games and things like that. But so that that was good. It was good to be able to watch a game at Bishop's Cleeve and and one at Sirencester. Um, and there was just a few people dotted about. Um, mm. So hopefully it's a gradual, gradual uh, return to some sort of normality in terms of getting fans back in. Because you know Cheltenham's one thing, but non-league clubs obviously they are mm. they are not going to be able to operate at all without without the gate receipts. Uh, Bishop's Cleeve and Sirencester both um, semi-professional. Is that right? Yeah, Bishop Steve are in the Hellenic League, which is sort of a, a league that goes from Gloucestershire across to Berkshire, Buckinghamshire. That's basically like an M4 sort of shape mm. of a league. Um, so they, they'll, their players have all obviously got jobs. They'll get they'll get a small contribution for their football. Sirencester one level up, so still very much semi-pro, but slight, slightly higher standard. They've got a, a good setup at Sirencester with a mm. 3G pitch, which which Cleve are actually in the process of getting for yeah. next year. I played on that last year. Um, it's, <laughs> yes. it's, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it good, is. good surface, is, yeah. 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 Well, not that I made the most of it necessarily with that, with that, fr- <laughs> with that fridge on my back, but it was... Um, it was <laughs> No excuses in <laughs> <and> bubble. <laughs> no, exactly. It was in the uh, This Country charity game, so that was for the uh, National Football Alliance, football charities for, for kids, so that was... Uh, it was a good day oh, out brilliant. with um, with uh, Kerry and and Curtin and the sort of people who play those parts. Obviously, Daisy and uh, the Cooper family. Yeah. So that was um, that was good. It was good, a good laugh. Uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll get some laughs soon. What did you make? And I don't know. You'll probably find out maybe more today from Michael. And I know Michael Duff. I texted him the other day and, and see how things are going. He said he's doing fifteen hour days at the moment, and it's a bit of a um, intense. To, it's the understatement to say how it has been managing. Cheltenham and I guess all lower league clubs at the moment but what is your, your read on the government sort of edict now about people meeting up and six people in the households is that is that set us back in terms of because there's been murmurs from Boris I believe this week saying he, he might review the the re-entrance into into sporting grounds for fans so it's it's a little bit nuanced and complex isn't it trying to figure out exactly how we are returning to normality with sort of um, forward steps and backward steps all the time simultaneously yeah, I think it was important that he said professional organised sport could still go ahead with, with the correct precautions, mm. which was good. But um, Cambridge, I think, Cambridge United and E2 were due to have a test event on, on Saturday, uh, this Saturday coming. That's been cancelled now. I think they were, they were going to be allowed a certain amount of fans in. I think it might have been yeah. a thousand, two, thousand, two thousand or two yeah. and a half thousand. Yeah. yeah. So that's now been called off. So I think the, the rule of six coming in does raise serious questions about how, whether you know, it will delay fans getting back in and Chris Whitty has said it's it's likely to be here for a little while it's not just going to be very short term mm. so I think there was hope that Cheltenham would be able to get some fans in for their second home game of the season which is against Grimsby and I think now that's probably not look, which would have been their um, equivalent of a test event mm. I think that's probably completely up in air again now so it's a real shame but 
if it's got to be done, then it'll be being done for the right reasons. And, you know, in the long term, hopefully it will, it will pay off. Yeah. What would Cheltenham need, do you think, to, to be financially sustainable? Because, as you say, they don't fill out Wadden Road every week anyway, necessarily. Well, I think last season, the average was getting up. The, the, the crowds have grown slightly with Michael Duff and the great work he's been doing. I think mm. they were getting up towards the 3,000 mark, which is... Good always been a good little watershed for Cheltenham in the Football League. If they're struggling a bit or if they're they're on a bad run or you know things aren't going well, they sometimes dip down to maybe two and a half or just below. But if things are on the up and everyone's enjoying it, it normally sort of tips just over 3,000. So I think they'll have a figure in mind that they need to hit during any season to just make ends meet, really, and hit the budget. Mm. At, the, at the moment, every game they play or every week that goes by, really, where they're not getting any ticket income in is going to be having an effect on them. But... Again, they've been pretty fortunate in that they've sold Ryan Broom. Mm. Were, you know, sad, well, were you sad about that, or how did you reflect on that as a, as a fan? I suppose. I think he there's there's different ways of looking at it. He was excellent last season. You know, real talent. He, he deserves to play at a high level, and I think he probably would have gone on a free at the end of this season because he only had one year on his contract. Yeah, and he's just turned 24, so he would have been able to walk away on a free. So Cheltenham probably had that decision to make: do we keep him in front of the year when perhaps he? His heart isn't really... I know, I know he still would have given everything for Cheltenham, but he probably would have maybe resented it if he'd been blocked to the chance to move up to League One. Mm. Um, or do we get what we can for him now, use the money to sort of maybe help with the, the shortfall of crowds, maybe invest a little bit into the to the playing squad? And then Ryan Broom gets his move up to League One, which he thoroughly deserves. So I think I can completely see why Cheltenham did it. Also, from a purely from the fans' point of view, obviously you don't want to see your best players leaving. But he came in on a free from Bristol Rovers. Yeah, uh, nobody really, nobody really had massive expectations of what he was going to do. He's been really good for the club for two seasons. You cannot, you know, you cannot begrudge players in League Two now in this mm. day and age with the the sort of reduced opportunities they've probably got to earn big money in the lower leagues. I think you've got to say if they use Cheltenham as a stepping stone, give a couple of years of good service, and then move up the ladder. Wish mm. them all the best and and hope they go on to have a really good career. Another major thing is if Peterborough do end up selling him on. Mm. Cheltenham will be guaranteed to get a chunk of that which is exactly why they're in a pretty good financial position now because they did that with Moisa yeah. they did it with Marlon Pack they did it with Luke Thomas and that's been crucial this year getting them through this period from March to now where they've had very little coming in because that has just mm. kept them pretty stable yeah. where other clubs haven't had that Yeah, they seem very prudent to be fair Cheltenham and a huge respect to them um, do, do you reflect how you reflect on the playoffs last year and I suppose we always have to be ambitious in life but do you conclude that maybe, in a sense, because of the, the, the corona uncertainty around and, and the difficulty over gates, that that pressure to go up to League One and perhaps to spend, it's nice in a way that that's not on Michael Duff's shoulders? Or is that pessimistic? I don't know. <laughs> I think if you'd, you'd asked Michael after the second leg of the first semi-final, you would have said, we, you know, we'd, we'd be desperate to get promoted. <clears throat> but nobody expected that last season. Nobody expected Champ to be finishing fourth in Michael Duff's first full season. Mm. It's difficult to say that staying down is a blessing, and I completely see what what you mean with the question. I, I think I actually think it's probably good that he's he's got another year in League Two to he's constantly building. It's been a constant upward curve really since he had a bit of a struggle at the start. Ever since then, mm. it's been gradual improvement. A few players have gone, some good players, Broom included. Luke Varney um, has moved on, and and uh, you know, but most of the players that have gone, for example, Varney's been replaced by Andy Williams. Mm. Uh, there's a lad thin as ours from West Brom who looks like he can play the Ryan Broom role and they're trying to bring another attacking player in as well if they can um, they've brought in Lewis Freestone left-sided defender yeah. who sort of re- replaced the lone player of Jacob Greaves he looks very good uh, Liam Serkham 
looks like he's something that Cheltenham didn't have last season. So I think they've they've got as strong, if not stronger, starting eleven than they had last season. Mm. It's think... difficult for Duff, isn't it? Because he's always wanted to. Michael said that he wants two year contract for players and to build a bit of continuity for the for the players in the club, but also for the fans to to identify with people for a sustained period of time. I think that's massive now because um, there, there's been managers. Well, managers doing it now in League Two, and managers that Cheltenham in the past that have they've got to every transfer window, and if things aren't going according to plan, they will sort of rip it up, um, get rid of six, bring in six, mm. and sometimes that can work for you, and other times it can't. But what it does do is it costs you a lot of money to keep mm. bringing players in. Um, it's it's quite quite an expensive process, sort of discarding players midway through contracts when you you haven't really got value for money out of them. So what Michael has shown he can do is he, he's inherited a squad. He's got more out of a lot of the players that were already there. Mm. Uh, you can see them You can see them visibly improving, learning, getting better, getting fitter, getting stronger, getting more experience. And then the ones he has got, and the one he has brought in, are mostly on two, at least two-year contracts. Or some of them have been the two-year and then they stay for another two years. So I think having that continuity, fans do want you know, to identify and get their names on the shirts and things like that. Mm. If it's just a new, a new starting eleven every six months, it really does make that difficult. How, how different are the contracts now, John? Do you have any insight into the players? Are they getting significantly less now than they were a year ago? I think the player, the clubs have got more power. I think uh, you know somebody like Liam Circum has been signed on a decent contract because he's dropped down from League One. He's, he's going to be like the marquee signing in the summer. So I'm not saying that Cheltenham have got him on the cheap, mm. but I think now as as we get towards the end of the transfer window in October, I think there'll be a lot of players trying to find a club and some of them might be holding out at the moment and then they might think well I just need something like a bit like Luke Varney did when he started two seasons ago without a club mm. um, Cheltenham would Cheltenham you know were, were, were lucky to have him really and I don't know how he got <laughs> overlooked for as long as he did but there, there will be players floating around that suddenly think well maybe I will have to take a little bit less and I'll go there and they, they could still have a lot to offer what? but at the moment there are where, where, where does, a lot of players out of work. Where does Luke Regvani then rate in the, the sort of annals of, of Cheltenham Town? Because it's, statistically, he was up there, wasn't he? I saw a few tweets from you that he'd actually uh, contributed significantly in the all-time goal-scoring stats. Yeah, he's... Well, in terms of leading the recovery under Duff, because when, when Michael Duff took over, Cheltenham were looking like uh, it was going to be a season of struggle, if not relegation, it was going to be a season of struggle. Varney was obviously Michael's first signing. Mm. And I think what, what he brought, as well as having played at a higher level and being a very good player, is he completely got hold of the dressing room. Yeah. Um, and obviously, that's Michael's job as manager. But I think he, he knew that if he put Reg in that changing room with a lot of young lads, and maybe some that were just, I don't know, some that were cruising a little bit, or maybe the standards weren't as high as they should have been. Even if they thought they were being professional, I think Varney came in and lifted it mm. up several, several notches. And I think that was perhaps the best thing about Varney signing was the way that he grabbed everybody around the scruff of the neck and said, we are going to improve every single aspect of what we do. And he, even though he's left now, he, if Cheltenham gone to do well this season, he has played a huge role in it. So to answer your question, I'd say in terms of coming in, making impact, um, value for money, because I don't think he was on great money at Cheltenham. Mm. He's, he's obviously made a lot of money in his career. Michael quite often said that. He's not come here for the money. Mm. I think he's got to go down as one of the best um free agent signings Cheltenham made in the 20 years, 20 seasons they've been in the Football League. Wow, that's fantastic. Fantastic shout. And he's a great character. I interviewed him on, on this podcast last year. He's just effervescent, very enthused and, and very committed to his physical conditioning, which is obviously why it's, it's served him so well into his, his late 30s. Um, impressive. Definitely. Yeah, he's, he's showing us up a bit there, John, isn't he? I think with his, uh, his fitness. <laughs> well, he's got, up, he's got up a division at 37, hasn't he? So he's gone up to League One in a player coach role. I'm sure he's still got plenty of miles left in those. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's been doing a lot of cycling. He's yeah, he's 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 as fit as a fiddle. I think he's, 
I think that's a really good signing for Burton. Yeah, it was sad he got injured over the summer, wasn't it, actually, Varney? That was a sort of uh, yeah. a, foot, a footnote in the playoffs. That was a bit of a, a shame. May have, may have impacted things as well. John, yeah. what about sort of more, more locally in the local sports scene? I actually emailed Martin St. Quinton, who was I had on the podcast earlier this year, the, the Gloucester rugby chairman, and he uh, is chairman of the, of the race course as well. And he was saying that everyone's well health-wise at his end, but that it has been a challenge uh, for rugby, the premiership's back with, without fans currently. Do you do you have an insight across other sports, other clubs that in the area? I, I know I know Gloucester have sort of gone through a lot of changes. They've changed the director of rugby, they've changed the head coach. They're they're probably looking to a new era uh, for next season when that gets then that gets underway. Mm. Um, I, I don't I've I don't hear hear of any sort of teetering on the edge, which obviously we don't we don't want to see. I don't I've not been told that any clubs are absolutely. You know, on the verge of going out of existence altogether. Yeah. Um, you know, we look. Um, we've had a bit of boxing success in the county, haven't we? We're ready. Yeah. It's great, great to see some competitive sport taking place and some some success in the county. Uh, have, um, you, have but, you been across the story of really really rival a little bit over over the years? Because I know he's been in Gloucestershire life, hasn't he? I've seen some features with him. Yeah. When I was sports editor, we we covered him regularly. We had a guy called Mike Brown who who was quite keen on boxing, and he he was sort of a rugby writer, but also did a lot of stuff on Ready and covered it quite well. Mm. So I've I've always you know big character uh, real talent I've kept an eye on him one of my one of my colleagues at Gloucester Life Kim Horton actually wrote an article on Riddy's recent title success yeah but yeah it's great it's great to see and I've always kept an eye on him but I don't do any boxing writing myself now no it's, um, it's all it's all football it's a strange it's a strange situation with Riddy though because he's he's unbeaten and he hasn't he's only won one by knockout but uh, a lot of the big analysts that I'd spoken to who watched him win the British and Commonwealth title said he's going to be very very difficult to beat because he's so awkward and coordinated that actually you know, he could go a long way, which, but again, it's sort of, it's that interesting thing in an individual sport. It's perhaps his talent and his, his, uh, his success so far hasn't been reflected in, in more sort of national coverage, but that's to do with maybe his alliance with promoters. So it's a tricky sport, isn't it? Yeah. Individually, it's, it's very different when you've been covering teams. Yeah, we've, we've got a couple of talented snooker players in the county. Uh, Jack Lazarski was at the World Championships and um, mm. Rob Milkins is very good from Gloucester. So it's, it's been good to see, you know, gradually people getting back to work and doing what they love. And, and the, the uh, snooker was obviously a little bit of fans allowed in, but mostly people watching it on TV. But uh, I think it's, you know, I, I I really hope that all the clubs can, can get through it and keep going. Mm. Um, but obviously it all depends on what happens over the next few months and how, how we handle the winter challenge really, isn't it now? Yeah, it certainly is. Um and do say you have to go. You out right for time, Johnny? You okay for getting down to the press? Yeah, conference? Yeah. time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Paul Godfrey actually said to me on the podcast. He was very sage back in Cheltenham Club Secretary, back in and club historian back in I think April or March. He said that you know there's going to be an impact as well on on fans because of of the lockdown and the implications regarding redundancies and and, and unemployment that perhaps clubs aren't going to be able to to sort of charge as much at the, at the gate. And that's a, an interesting factor, isn't it? I suppose. That, that clubs like Cheltenham Town, like Sirencester, like Gloucester City, like um, Gloucester Rugby, are all, all having to consider in, in the cricket club, which is kind of, you don't think about it, because it's based largely in Bristol, but yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's something to factor in as well. Yeah, just one real positive, because like, you mentioned Gloucester City there, there, there was a, the first game at Meadow Park last night, which was great to see. It was a Gloucester City under-18 FA Youth Cup game. Oh, great. And they, they they won it, and it was the first time in 13 years that Gloucester have used Meadow Park for, for a game. Uh, they've wow. got the 3G pitch, they've built the ground, so that's great news and Gloucester City seem to be in a pretty healthy state off the pitch now so they've their fans have been you know through everything they've been playing at Evesham recently Cheltenham before that Sirencester and Forest Green so 13 years away from the city but they're coming back to a city that's changed a lot since the floods of 2007 yeah and it's it's great it was just great to see some footage last night of 
floodlights on, um, football being played, albeit an under-18s game, but just Gloucester Keys, just over the road, great location. So I, was, I just think they, you know, it's really exciting times for Gloucester City now. Yeah, 13 long years. It's amazing. I remember the floods because actually it's how I reconnected with my wife. We'd been um, schoolhood friends, but then um, her parents living up in Salernitz near Gloucester and I'd emailed her to, to see how they were getting on because I knew that they were in the area. So it's, it's amazing to think that it's been that long for them. It's great. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a real positive, actually, at, at this time. And you mentioned that local element to it. I just wonder whether League Two clubs like Cheltenham Town, lowly clubs, even you know, relatively locally like, like Swindon Town, Bristol Rovers, whether they'll be more inclined now to, to source players locally, whether players will want to stay closer to home with the, the uncertainty, they won't want to uproot to travel across the country in these times. What's your, what's your feel on that, John? Do you think that's maybe something that, that Michael Duff looks at? Yeah, I think one of, the, one of Michael Duff's, sort of, one of the things on his checklist is to try and bring some young players through. And I think they've, they've changed the approach slightly with getting the really younger lads, the first year scholars, 16, 17 year olds, and certainly the second year scholars out on loan earlier mm. to get them some senior football, see how they cope with it. Um, there's a lad in the, the youth setup at the moment called Callum Ebanks, who's I think about to sign a professional contract. If he hasn't signed it already, he's definitely sort of on the way to earning one. Yeah. Um, they, they, they want, oh, funnily enough, he's from Birmingham, but there are some <laughs> lo- locally based lads that are, um, in the squad and yeah, George Lloyd. Yeah, talked about our radius of the hour and a radius or so, so sort of looking Reading, Birmingham, Bristol, that kind of sort of, I guess, yeah. area. Yeah. Because it's quite quite well positioned, really. I know there's there's big clubs that are going to be competing for, for players, like uh, Josh Griffiths, for example, the West Brom goalkeeper who's on loan at Cheltenham. He's from Hereford yeah. or Ledbury area. So he's, you know, he's just down the road, really. But we can understand why West Brom can cast the net a little bit wider. But we we can look up from, from Gloucestershire, can't we, to Birmingham, mm. just up the M5, um, Oxford, Swindon to the to the east, and then you've got Cardiff and mm. Newport, Bristol just down the road. So it's quite a good catchment area for loans, for pricking up young lads that are in the area. South Gloucestershire, there's there's a bit of an untapped territory there between mm. Cheltenham Forest Green and then down to Bristol Rovers. So I think the Cheltenham fans certainly enjoy having a Cheltenham or Gloucestershire lad in the team more often. George Lloyd sort of on the fringes of breaking through. Yeah. He's a Gloucester lad. So that would be good. So I think it completely makes sense to sort of, why, why would you sign a player from the other end of the country? Um, after pay or maybe, maybe getting into sort of relocation fees and expenses when you can just, you know, you know justify having an academy. I know it's difficult for players to make that leap from academy to first team, but I think they just need a little bit more time. And I think that's one of the reasons Wade Elliott's been brought into Cheltenham mm. to, to help bring those development players through from under 18s to first team football. So that's going to be really interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, it sounds like Duff's doing a positive job from, I mean, you know, it's, it's a very early days, but those two victories so far, given the, the upheaval, the turmoil and the, and the coronavirus context, it seems like he's, he's done a good rebuild over the summer. Yeah, I think he, he might be doing long days at the moment because I think he does work hard, but I think he doesn't really change. He's very steady. He's very He's got a good temperament. I don't think he gets too down. Mm. I don't think he... I'll be disappointed after the Northampton game, but I think he would have shaken it off, learnt from it. And I think he's got a really good sort of approach to learning, um, analysing what he does. He's got a complete understanding of what players need now and what players what makes players tick, having worked at, in the Premier League so recently. Yeah. I think he's very steady and very consistent which I think and his mentor at the LMA is John Ward who's probably the most consistent manager Cheltenham have had in terms of temperament and you know never getting too high or low yeah that's a very good man good man to be learning from as well yeah sports psychologist said it's a really good trait in terms of um, not having that emotional pendulum it's, it's important to sort of to stay to stay on track and it's um, it, it's interesting that that he has he has that approach and I think also just his um, yeah pragmatic he seems very very 
down to earth about it and almost pragmatic about the jeopardy involved in being a manager, which I think is refreshing sometimes, isn't it? Very candid about that, how you can be, yeah. you know, very, yeah. you can be writing headlines one minute and then uh, you can be in trouble the next. So it feels like he's he's got a realism which probably helps you in that position, I'd imagine, rather than sort of underlying anxiety about your position. Yeah, I think he's, sometimes people uh, who are a bit, bit low-key can be accused of not being passionate. Well, I think he is passionate, but I think he's very good at stepping back from that sometimes and just making a sort of a clear decision rather than being overwhelmed by, you know, getting it too, too wound up in the emotion of stuff. I think mm. he's quite good at taking a step back and yeah, he's, he's, he is very, very pragmatic. He, I can very clearly imagine him, imagine him sort of telling the players what they need to do and not giving them any confusion. It's very clear. Mm. You need to, this is what you need to do. This is how you do it. We're not asking you to do anything you can't do. And I think it, all all the instructions will be very clear. No confusion about what's expected of the players. And I think that's shown with how well organised they've been on the pitch for 99% of the games since he took over. Yeah, I remember reading a book called Soconomics. There's been various editions of it. It's really good. And it was it was delving into transfers and how a lot of transfers fail statistically um, when clubs spend a lot of money and have a lot of flux. And I think there's an excitement as fans, you know, look at the Chelsea situation, I'm not saying it's not going to work, but they've brought in a lot of players. Everyone said they've had a great transfer window. Ultimately, I guess you can't tell until... Till it till it plays out, but the difficulty of integrating lots of players and having lots of changes is, is proven. And, and I think Soconomics said that over the long haul, that the research suggested the most successful teams built a good squad and then rewarded those players with with, with contracts longer term, and then brought in one or two additions to complement that culture. And I think it seems like he's he's got that mindset. But John, you you wear a few hats, don't you? The other one is uh, is lecturer at the University of Gloucestershire. Uh, well, how are things planning for that? Because I've got three of my best friends that are in higher education and they say it's absolute turmoil. They're on Teams talks every day trying to figure out what's going to happen, where the kids are going to go, are they going to be back in and, and how much? Yeah, it's um, it's been slightly, it's taken a lot more planning than previous years, but I think we're pretty much there. So next week is uh, induction week, stroke freshers week. So the new intake of students will be we'll be meeting them on Monday mm. uh, at Park Campus. So it's all very very clearly laid out what where you can go how many people you can have in a room where you can talk to students what you need to wear mask wise it's been i'm sure it's been a huge challenge for everyone at the university to just get the campus safe to go into but we are meeting our new intake of students on monday which i'm looking forward to and um the vast majority it's, it's, it's a blended blended learning approach but mm. the vast majority of my teaching is going to be in face to face oh good uh, whereas during lockdown obviously it was all online so that's that's a massive positive um, so yeah, it's it's going to be different, but I'm pretty confident they still get a great experience out of it. Um, yeah, well, I hope so. obviously massive. Sorry, no, sorry, I was, I was going to say hope... a lot of it will depend on. Yeah, go go ahead, John. You finish that. You finish your point. Sorry, I was just going to say sorry to interrupt. I was going to say a lot of um, hopefully live sport is needed, you know, to make mm. the the course you know put put it into practice what they're learning. So a huge amount of it will depend on what happens over the next few months. But in terms of the classroom based stuff, we're we're looking good. We're well set. We've had we have had a lot of teams meetings, but we've been the communication's been excellent mm. and the organization is really, really clear and thorough. Yeah, I was speaking to my brother earlier, I had a lot of sympathy for younger people at those kind of landmark stages of life because I can vividly remember leaving school at GCSEs, then at eight after A levels, those summers and and the events around it. And it, it's been they've been robbed at that time and it's it's probably we can afford to to lose it in a way at our age and our stage because six months maybe like the six months previously but at that age it's important to have that landmark so i think one of those is is meeting people physically at university isn't it and actually going to courses rather than, than sat in a room which could be a room anywhere i suppose yeah massively important to get them together to, to to make those bonds and get to know each other properly and for us to get to know them properly but i think 
it's not it's not solving all the problems, but I think one positive is how digital people's lives are anyway now. Mm. I think there's no substitute for that in-person teaching and in-person interacting with students for that for the the social side of it. Mm. Um, and hopefully that will be as as good as possible. But I think the the fact that they're so digitally minded now, and that's why when we spoke during lockdown, you know, they they just adapted with ease to online teaching. It was, or certainly for the one the, my experience, mm. they all they all just they all just it was just like second nature to them. Yeah, it feels like social to, social side of journalism is important, though, isn't it? Because that, that in in person thing. I remember you interview guys like Steve Cottrell. They, they can be quite fierce at times and passionate, can't they? So in a way, that's part of the conditioning as a, a, a would be journalist that you have to learn how to to sort of uh, to mix with different characters and different personalities in the sports world. Yeah, I think it's quite difficult to write a, a nice long read, a feature article without seeing and observing what the person's like and, and you know, shaking their hand and having a drink with them and having a coffee with them. I think that's that adds another dimension to your writing. But you can do it over over Zoom or Teams. You can do it mm. over the phone. But I, I think it's being able to meet up with somebody, sit down and look them in the eye is a massive advantage to, to the quality of interview that you'll get. Yeah, particularly if you're introverted as well. It's kind of facing those the, 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 those kind of internal fears to get out and meet people, I think, can be can be a challenge for, for young journalists who are maybe great writers but maybe they find that social interaction awkward so it'd be great if they can get i suppose the weird dichotomy with students john it's not for for us to pass judgment upon them but if you're controlling the environment at university then freshers week i remember my freshers week uh, was uh, w- was pretty eventful to say the least uh, i guess it's gonna be very hard to manage them when the bars and pubs are open that's the weird sort of dichotomy we're all living in at the moment isn't it yeah i think you know you quite often see during freshers week groups of 50 students you know, heading to the pub. We're not going to see that this year, are we? But we will be able to see little pods of six, whether they live together or whether they're in halls together. Yeah. You know, group group of six is hopefully going to be enough to be able to go out and have a safe, enjoyable yeah. night and um, still get to know a completely new group of friends. And uh, But a lot of it will be dependent, again, on what happens over the next few months and how, how well controlled the, the, the levels of the virus are, isn't it? So, yeah. um, I mean, it could, so, they, so much of it's unknown. They could go to a pub as long as they're sat on separate tables, is that right? <laughs> I don't know. Just to think about the detail of uh, a freshers' night out, how different it will be, because we used to go yeah. out en masse, the, the whole sort of uh, hall of residence would be out. Yeah, it's going to be very, it's going to be different, but um, yeah, I think it's, you almost need to have a piece of paper with you to check what the rules are now, don't you? Yes, you do. You do. It's uh, <laughs> just keep, keep keep six feet, two meters, or whatever it is, and uh, wear a mask even now. I think is the uh, general approach. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're on your own on the beach, you're probably all right not to wear the mask. <laughs> <just trying> to, <laughs> yeah, I hope so. We're yeah. trying to f- figure it out. Um, but how, what's your what's your take on the local scene? The local um, have you spoken to people with jobs and things like that? How are they doing? What, the health of the, the high street, I think, is some, a, vi- a vivid sort of concern isn't it we can see that as we walk through that the, the shops are struggling a little bit yeah i think the eat out to help out scheme was was good throughout august wasn't it i think that got a lot of people out and about mm. into cafes and restaurants and so yeah i've from from sort of fairly regular trips into town and just having a look around i think it, you can see it gradually getting busier mm. um yeah it was it was surreal i know i know you live right in the middle of town it was surreal walking through town and literally not seeing a single person at times during yeah. during those months when it was just out for a run or something like that. It was, it was really was bizarre, but I think it's, you know, I've, I've been to places now where I think, although everyone's being very careful, it, it looks very close to what it would have been before March. Mm. Um, I think it's gradually getting there and I'll, you know, I'm just really hopeful that the local uh, lockdowns that they've been putting into place yeah. can stop there needing to be a more widespread one because looking at the figures around here, um, I know we can't take our foot off the gas, especially when we've got mm. hundreds of people moving into the area from around the country. But I think it's it's 
we've been lucky around here, really. I don't think we've mm. been, fingers crossed, uh, massively badly hit. Yeah, there is a good spirit as well, you say, like on, in terms of social side, sort of Hotel 131 around the corner from me and, and places seem to be pretty busy by and large now in the bars albeit with the social yeah. distancing and stuff people are, are taking part and keen to keen to get out there and and socialize i think which is uh is, it's a big it's a big big part of it isn't it it's um yeah it's fascinating times well john i, I better let you go because you gotta go down and speak to michael duff uh text text me later and see how that went because that'll be interesting to see how that, how that yeah we'll do out, yeah so. yeah so we're due there um in about 50 minutes so i'm looking forward to that see what see what how michael's thinking but i'm sure as we said earlier he'll be very uh pragmatic and and balanced ahead of the game because so, uh, it is the start of the new 46 game season tomorrow yeah who are they playing Morecambe at home Morecambe at home fantastic yeah and let's hope we can get in there soon yeah that's that's the key I think it's it, it just feels like it's um, muddling through at the moment until the f- proper stuff starts when the fans get back in because that's what that's what it's all about yeah and Chatham got a great strong fan base I know online as well and a quick word on the, the media scene before, sorry before you go because I know that um, Ash, I can't remember Ash's surname, but I do follow him on social media. Another local journalist, he sort of lost his job, didn't he, over the, the period? So it's been challenging for all all businesses. Yeah, Ash Loveridge. Yeah, he's um, been around Gloucestershire sports journalism for a long time. He used to work at the Citizen. Um, he's been at the Strategies and Journal. Um, he's still going to be doing a lot of freelance reporting, and he's still, you know, he's still going to be at Forest Green Games, which is good. Mm, so good. He, he's, he's not going to have to walk away from it completely. But obviously, his situation's changed. But yeah, I think everybody's been affected in some way. Um, some obviously more than others, and I just, just hope that, you know, I hope that after, when as things continue to relax, hopefully there'll be a big surge of people wanting to go out and buy and spend and enjoy themselves safely, and and it will get everything sort of kickstart, jumpstart the economy again. But there's already some positive signs about it. Yeah, recovering isn't there that I read this morning that it's gradually, you know, it's recovering, um, just taking a massive hit, but hopefully it's not gonna Good. um have too many long lasts. Yeah, advertising revenue and stuff, isn't there? Yeah, I think it's a, a big part of it, and hopefully that'll come back with businesses start to start to flex their muscles yeah. and get income. And Ash, Ash temporarily worked at Forest Green didn't he, over the summer. He got yeah. a job there, but like all of us that have been tempted by the, uh, the PR side, he's, he's decided to go back to journalism, as I understand it. I think he's, you know, you'd have to ask him, but I think he's definitely yeah. a sports journalist at heart. You know, that's what he loves, that's what his passion is. So I think it's... Yes, diff- similar sort of skills, but other side of the fence. It's, it's, it can be, you know, it can be very different. I've been on both sides of it, and it is it's yes. a completely different approach. But um, yeah, I think he, he's, he's yes. very much. A and trying to be man. that impartial, even if you're a fan, it's, it's trying to be impartial as well. And it's difficult when, you, when you're basically employed to be partisan and, and be committed to just just one club. It's it's tricky. Yeah. Forest Green, okay, we haven't mentioned Forest Green. Are they okay? Yeah, Forest. I don't think Forest Green will have anything to worry about financially. I think that, you know because they've got a um, strong structure with with Dale Vincey, Cotricity, working in close conjunction with the club. Um, they've made some decent signings. Uh, they've they've lost a couple. They lost Joseph Mills, who was one of their best players last year. But I think they've some of the sort of players they've brought in um, look like they've got a good calibre in mm. in League One and Two. So they've they've got they've lost. They're opening two games, one in the Carabao Cup. Um, to Leighton Orient and they, they got edged out but they made a lot of changes against Exeter as, as most teams did in the EFL Trophy so it'll be more of a realistic gauge for them tomorrow oh, wow. where they go to Bolton on Saturday so Bolton away yeah. who are fancied to be up there so that will be a sort of real test of how Forest Green are looking because Bolton obviously most people's pick to be top three if not champions so that'll be We'll see what you know. Yes. See what, how they handle that. Always one. surreal, isn't it? Uh, Premier League name in the, in the League Two context, which shows how kind of fluid our football is. So it's. Uh... Yeah, yeah, Bolton, Bradford, you know, Bradford in there as well. Salford has, Salford has spent a bit again. They're very ambitious. So I think it's going to be, you know, yeah. really competitive again. Um, some big clubs have gone up, but I think there's 
Bolton, Bradford, Salford, the sort of names that most people are talking about. Some, you know, Cheltenham have been tipped when, quite when, a few to do when's well. When's the first Cheltenham Forest match? Um, Okay. Uh, end of October, that is at Wadden Road. Um, I think it's October the thirty first. So that's always one to well, Cheltenham have beaten Forest Green Oof. since nineteen ninety eight. So uh, they'll well, want to win that one. Fans in that. Um, that's not quite the same without the fans, <laughs> albeit. <laughs> Hopefully, no, not, not any at all. arrests no. on the prom at ten am like the, the other year. <laughs> so, um, John, John, appreciate your time. Yeah, uh, it, it go well at the ground, and uh, hope it goes well with the match tomorrow too. Brilliant. Speak to you soon, John. Thank you, mate. Bye bye. Cheers. Well, yeah, I didn't know um, when I spoke to John Palmer. There he is, uh, local journalist extraordinaire, good guy, uh, that he was going down to Cheltenham Town's training ground to interview Michael Duff this morning. I had a text message from Michael Duff just saying it has been really intense. Hope to catch up with him soon for a cup of coffee, maybe record a chat with the Cheltenham Town manager, give an insight into the uh, challenges facing him and I suppose other equal-sized clubs around the country as well. But John's insight there is kind of key and his passion um, qualified, I suppose, by his concern for the the health situation, as it is for all of us. But his passion to get people back in the in the grounds for these local clubs is uh, shining through, radiating through there, isn't it? Because it is so vital to survive. Because they're not getting advertising revenue, they don't get big TV revenue. There's lower leagues that are the lifeblood of local communities as well, and um, been around for a long, long time. Cheltenham Town, of course, non-league prior to 1999, but still a big part of the community and do wish wish them well if you like that podcast please rate it on itunes or rate sport and life on itunes the podcast i hope you enjoyed that thank you to the sponsors again around the corner from me bang olufsen of cheltenham and serene av who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations i know they've got snazzy new earphones in stock that they've been uh, advertising on their instagram account you can follow bang and olufsen of cheltenham on there or twitter and their website you get numbers for jason briggs and his team get in contact with them and cytoplan.co.uk if the coughs and the colds are starting to enter your household and seeing uh, the evidence of that as the kids go back to school and mingle uh, do uh, check out cytoplan.co.uk if you're looking for supplements we believe in them again it's not a control group so although we've been taking them for two decades as a draper family uh, and think we've been fairly well in that time it's hard to compare without someone who's not been taking them directly or ourselves not taking them. But anyway, cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, and you can get 10% off with the discount code DRAPER10, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters. I can spell my name now, did a good, decent job. And the uh, number's 10, DRAPER10. Okay, guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm a sports broadcaster in the UK working for Sky Sports, very fortunate to do so. Um, been great during this this period, supporting us. I hope you're well. And if you could rate the uh, podcast on iTunes, that'd be fantastic. But I hope you have a good weekend. I hope health-wise, financially-wise, uh, anxiety-wise, the uncertainty and the, the complexities of the picture as it unfolds wherever you are in the world in this global pandemic, I wish you all the best. And I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I do appreciate it. Goodbye for now. Have a good